Would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Father, thank you for your word to us and that it still speaks to us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that it would comfort us today in all of those areas where we need your comfort. And Lord, that it would convict us in all of those areas where we have become apathetic toward you and toward your calling in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are getting close to the end of the biblical story about this theme of the presence of God. And this week we're going to look again at the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And next week we're going to look at the very end of the story, looking at Revelation 21 through 22, where John received a vision where the whole earth would be filled with the presence of the glory of God. It's a wonderful end to this story and an end that we are all moving toward. Uh, After that, we're going to take a short break for a couple of weeks, and then we'll come back to this theme of the presence of God in mid-May and talking about uh, how we practice the presence of God in our everyday life. Uh, Over the last couple of months, we've been taking this 10,000-foot view of this theme uh, throughout the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And then uh, in May and through the summer, we're going to be talking about um, how we practice the presence of God in our everyday life. Uh, God has given us his Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and that spirit is cultivating the fruit of the spirit in us. Love, joy, and peace, patience, good, I know these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he's cultivating these virtues in our lives so that more and more as we live with an awareness of his spirit, as we allow the spirit to do a work in our life, he cultivates these virtues in us. And he also gives each of us a gift of the spirit that we can use and that he empowers us to use for his sake. And so in May and into the summer, we're going to be talking about walking with the spirit and living uh, in the presence of God in our day-to-day life. Today we're going to talk again about the temple of the Holy Spirit and what it means for us to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. What is our calling? If this is who we are, what are we called then to do? So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And our main text this morning is Ephesians 2 beginning um, at verse 11. In this part of Ephesians, Paul is talking about something that that most of us probably didn't wake up this morning thinking very much about. Uh, It's the issue of of how Gentiles, non-Jews, I assume most, if not all of us in this room, how Gentiles became followers of the Jewish Messiah and received salvation through him. Most of us here are Gentiles, we're not Jews, and I don't think that a lot of us really woke up this morning or were up late at night last night figuring out, how is it that I, as a Gentile, could be saved by the Jewish Messiah? Did anyone lose any sleep about that last night? No. It's not really something that we think about very much, but the early Christians thought about it a lot. It was maybe the most compelling question for the early church. 
the book of Romans and Galatians, here in the book of Ephesians, the book of Acts, especially chapters 10 through 15. This was a huge issue. How is it that God has welcomed Gentiles into his family? How has God done this? And here in Ephesians 2 is, is one of, of Paul's exp- explanations for how, how this happened. Because what the church was experiencing is that Jews and Gentiles were both confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Both Jews and Gentiles were both acknowledging that his sacrifice on the cross was a sacrifice for them. And both Jews and Gentiles were both receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Jews and Gentiles began to worship Jesus together. And this was truly a unique and radical thing. It's one of the main reasons why the Christians were being persecuted by the Jewish leaders very early on in the history of the church. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, and this is where Paul begins to explain how some of this works itself out. Paul says this, verse 11, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles from birth... And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, remember that phrase. You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two and thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Here Paul is talking about how it is that through Jesus Jews and Gentiles have now Come together. And what Paul is saying in this passage, among a lot of things, is that, that through Jesus, not only were we experiencing peace between ourselves and God, but also the church was experiencing peace between one another. These hostilities, these differences, these divisions were being healed through Christ. And in these verses, Paul speaks about this thing. He, said, he talks about this dividing wall of hostility, this dividing wall that divided Jews and Gentiles from one another. Do you know what ta- Paul is talking about here? In the temple at the time of Jesus, and at the time when Paul was writing, the temple included a series of, of courts, and each of those courts was guarded by a wall or a barrier. And so if you walked into the first gate of the temple, you would be in the farthest outer court called the Court of the Gentiles. And the Court of the Gentiles, that was where anyone could come in. And they could be there and uh, they could uh, observe from far away the worship that was taking place at the altar. 
At the best of times, there were probably Jewish leaders, maybe some priests who would talk with the Gentiles about who the God of Israel was. And so any, but anyone could go into uh, the court of Gentiles. And this is, by the way, where Jesus came in and where he turned over the tables was there in the court of Gentiles. And then there was a big wall that guarded the next court and you could walk through a gate and you were there in the court of women in the court of women. And this is as far as you could go, ladies. You couldn't go any further than this. That's why it was called the court of women. And any Jewish man or woman or child could go then into the next court, the court of women. But if you were a Gentile, you could not go into this court. And then there was another wall of separation that then separated the court of women from the inner court. And Jewish men who were pure could go into the inner court, and there in the inner court was the altar where the sacrifices were made, and some of the other rituals and practices were there in the inner court. And then beyond that, there was the holy place. And it was separated by a curtain, and a priest, only a priest, not just any Jewish man, could go into the holy place, and they would go in there once a day, and they would offer up prayers on behalf of the people. And then, even closer, nearer to the center, nearer to the presence of God, was the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And only the high priest could go into that place, and only one time each year. You're getting the picture, right? The closer you get to the presence of God, the more restrictive it gets. Gentiles far, far away from the presence of God. If you were a Jewish woman, you could get a little bit closer. If you were a Jewish man, you could go into the inner court even a little bit closer. If you were a priest, you could go into the holy place. And if you were a high priest, you could go into the most holy place. You got the picture? At the entrance of the gate between the court of the Gentiles and between the court of the women, there was a gate there, and next to that gate there was a sign. And the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that on that sign was written in both Latin and Greek, the languages of Gentiles, it said, no foreigners allowed. In 1871, we found out uh, through an archaeological discovery that Josephus actually didn't tell us the whole story. There was actually more written on that sign. And uh, we actually have that sign. It's what it looks like. Can you read that? Okay, there's a sketch of it, so you should be able to read this part. You guys, can you read that? Just a couple of you can read it, I'm sure. Okay. Here's what this sign says. This is separating the court of the Gentiles from the court of women, okay? And this is what it said. No foreigner is to enter the barrier surrounding the sanctuary. He who is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will soon follow. Okay, they weren't messing around. It didn't just say no trespassing, or trespassers will be prosecuted, trespassers will die. So do you hear what Paul is saying? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. 
for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility through his sacrifice on the cross. Now there is no more barrier between Jew and Gentile because of Jesus. And that's why you didn't lay at bed last night wondering how all of this works. There is no more barrier. Jesus has brought it down. And there's no more barrier anymore between men and women. In Jesus, there is neither male nor female. So all are welcomed, not only into the court of Gentiles and not only into the court of women, but into the inner court where that altar of sacrifice is because the sacrifice of Jesus is available to everyone. And what about the holy place, even closer to the center, the place of the bread of the presence and the incense of prayers being lifted up to God? The barrier has been brought down. That barrier has been brought down too because you are called a priest of God. And so now you can enter into the holy place and experience the presence of God and offer up prayers to him on your own because you are a priest of God. And then what about the most holy place, the holy of holies? That veil has been torn from top to bottom at the sacrifice of Christ, and Jesus has welcomes us there too. Paul's words here in Ephesians are revolutionary. We are welcomed into the presence of God, into the court of Gentiles, into the court of women, into the inner court where the sacrifice was made, into the holy place, into the holy of holies. Jesus Messiah brought down all of those barriers so that we may enter into, 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 into the presence of God. We are welcome there in the presence of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 19, listen to what he says. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Not only do we have direct access into the presence of God, Paul tells us that we are being built and joined together to be the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place no longer is located in a particular place, but in any place where one believes in Jesus by faith, or where two or three are gathered together in his name. God is now at work building a group of people to be the place where he dwells by his spirit. What mercy and grace we have been given to not only be invited into the presence of God, but to be the place where God chooses to dwell in us and among us. 
This is a great gift, and it also comes with responsibilities. And those responsibilities are what I want to talk about today for the rest of our time. What is our responsibility? If we are the dwelling place of God, if we are the temple of God, what are our responsibilities? And first and most importantly, we are called to be a people of prayer. The temple in the Old Testament is where people came to pray. The priests every day offered prayers on behalf of the people. It was in the holy place where the incense was lit that was symbolic of the prayers of God's people going up into heaven. The temple was a place of prayer. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then we are called to be a people of prayer. The gift of being the temple of the Holy Spirit means that God is closer He is nearer to us than he ever was to Israel in their temple in Jerusalem. You know, we sometimes look back at the Old Testament heroes of the faith, Abraham and David and Elijah and Ruth, and we think, wow, those men and women had such a close relationship with God, and they did. But I want to say to you today that God is nearer to you right now than he ever was to any of them. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, God is nearer to you right now than he was to any of them because God chose to dwell with us by his Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, for a lot of us, including myself, I believe that to be true in my brain. I hear that and I know that it's true, but it also comes with a lot of guilt for me because I don't always feel like that is true. Am I the only one? I don't experience that reality all of the time. In fact, I often feel like I'm experiencing the opposite. I know that my own sin, because of my own laziness in prayer or in the other spiritual disciplines, that God doesn't always feel near to me, but friends, he is. His nearness to you is not based on your faithfulness, but based on his faithfulness. But our experience of that presence our awareness of that presence and the benefits that come from experiencing the reality of his presence is dependent on our openness and on our effort to pursue and experience that reality that is there. He is near to us because of his faithfulness and not ours, but our experience, our awareness, our ability to receive the benefits of that presence is dependent on our effort and our pursuing his presence in our lives. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference there? And so when it comes to prayer, I want to be the first to confess that I am a little baby when it comes to prayer. There's so much about it that I do not understand. I have a set time of prayer almost every day in my life, and I often feel distracted. And I know that many of you feel the same way, and if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone. But I encourage you to continue to pursue God in prayer, because prayer is that practice where we we experience God's place and our place as the same place. It's in prayer where we experience that. 
I want you to remember as well that there are many, many, many different practices of prayer. I think sometimes in the history of the church, we read these stories or we hear somebody talking about prayer and we hear about these people who spend these hours and hours in intercessory prayer, praying for the needs of other people, praying for the world. And we hear stories like that and it can make us feel like such a failure. I want to say to you that don't let other people's prayer lives turn into your standard that you have to live up to. God has called people to certain things. And if other people have a wonderful prayer life, other people, God has given them that gift. Don't let their standard make you feel like a failure. Rather, seek God in the way that he's calling you in prayer. Your relationship with him is going to be different than the next person. In spite of my weaknesses in prayer, I want to offer you three practices of prayer today that I have personally found helpful. They may not be helpful to you, but these are three practices of prayer that I have found helpful, and I can only say that I feel like God's calling me to share this with you because I'm your pastor, and this has been my experience, and I want to offer it to you. Three practices of prayer that I have found helpful. The first is a practice that I have practiced off and on for a long time. It's probably been my most consistent practice in my prayer life. And that is early in the morning, after my first sips of coffee, coffee, (laughs) I sit in silence for some minutes. I imagine sometimes it's maybe two, sometimes it may be 20 or 30 minutes. I simply sit in silence. And I ask God to do whatever work on my heart that he wants to do in that moment. I sit there and and I'm quiet. Sometimes I will meditate on a scripture verse. Sometimes I'll think about that verse as I'm sitting there. But during that time, I have asked God, God, do whatever you want to do in my heart that you want to do right now. And sometimes at the end of the time, sometimes I know what it was, but most of the time I don't know. But I'm trusting that God has been at work as I have given that space to him to do what he wants to do in my heart. The second one is a new one for me. Um, I just started doing it this year. Uh, This year, um, for Christmas, I asked for um, a a paper planner. (laughs) Do you guys know what those are? (laughs) It's a calendar with paper, and you write on it with pen and paper. (laughs) I found that a lot of the, the things that I wanted to do was, were going missing, and I just really needed uh, a planner with a calendar, and everything was there on it. And I've begun on Tuesday mornings to pray through my week and to sit down, and I, I get out my, my iPhone, and I, I, I copy all of my appointments into my paper planner, and I simply pray through all of the different appointments that I see coming my way that week, and I ask God to be a part of them. A third third practice of prayer that I have found helpful is that when I have a difficult circumstance or a difficult situation going on in my life, uh, what I do is, is I try to imagine myself in that situation. So say I have a difficult conversation with simps coming up later that day, okay? And I just say, Lord, would you guide me in that relationship? And I imagine myself in that situation and imagine myself talking to simps and asking, God, would you make me like Christ in this conversation? And I find myself at the, at the end of these prayers, um, this happens almost every time, I find myself, when it's a really difficult situation, saying, Lord, would you just take care of this? <laughs> 
And it's just been this prayer that has, has begun welling up in me as I, as I imagine myself in these situations and ask that God would be there and do his work in it. Those are three practices of prayer that I have found helpful. They may or may not be helpful to you. Seek out practices of prayer that are meaningful to you. Places where you can connect with God. For some of you, this may mean a weekly walk in the woods where you intentionally bring God to mind and to speak with him. Other people have found that something like the Book of Common Prayer, to to use those set prayers as a guide for prayer. This has been something that I have used frequently in my life to open up the Book of Common Prayer or some other prayer book and to allow the prayers of the saints of the past to guide and influence my own prayers. Reading through the Psalms and using the Psalms as a a prayer book. Those were prayers written to God. They can also be prayers for you each day to use those as prayers. For others, it may mean some sustained memorizing and meditating on Scripture. There are many, many, many different ways to pray. Seek out practices that are meaningful to you, but seek them out. It's part of what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. The second thing we need to be is a people of holiness. The Old Testament temple was a holy place. A couple of months back, remember, we looked at that that vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, where he has this vision and he finds himself there in the holy of holies. And he realizes, I'm not supposed to be here. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Finds himself in the temple and he realizes, I'm not supposed to be here. I am unclean and this is a holy place. The presence of God is a holy place, and because of that, the temple of God, his dwelling place, is a holy place. It's a pure place, it's a clean place. And so when we read in the Old Testament law, especially in the book of Leviticus, we read a lot about what it means to be clean or what it means to be pure. And in these books, we read that the Israelites had to avoid certain things. They had to avoid touching certain things or coming into contact with certain things because those things made them impure or unclean. And Leviticus tells us of the different rituals that someone would have to go through in order to become clean or to become pure so that they could then enter into the temple. And so this is an important aspect for us to remember about the presence of God. It's something that we learn from the Old Testament temple, that it is a holy place a place where there should be no impurities, where there should be no uncleanness. And so when we move into the New Testament, and as they are writing, as the New Testament writers are writing about the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit, they're reminded of the temple in the Old Testament as a holy place. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go ahead and turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what Paul says then about the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says something similar. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, Paul says, What agreement, agreement is there between the temple of God, that is us, the church, and our own, our, us as individuals, as, as believers? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, and then he quotes Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, As God has said, I will live with them. And I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You, your body does not belong to you. Honor God with your bodies. Don't allow anything to come into your life that will keep you from experiencing the presence of God. A few moments ago, I talked about the great privilege that we have of having access to God, this immediate access to God through the Holy Spirit. And all of us, I think, can confess in one way or another that we don't always experience that immediate access to God. It doesn't always feel as if he's near to us. And I think we need to be truthful and honest and confess that one of the reasons that we don't experience that reality is because we're not pursuing holiness. We're not pursuing a righteous and a holy life. That's not a priority for us. We are concerned with fulfilling our desires of our flesh rather than pursuing the things of the Spirit. And when we do that, when we fulfill the desires of our flesh, when we allow unclean and impure things into our minds, and when we do them with our bodies, we set up barriers in our hearts to the presence of God. Those barriers that Jesus brought down, we set them back up again in our hearts. We push God out of the places in our hearts where he wants to be very present and very real to us. And so many times our lack of that experience, that feeling as if God is near to us, is because we have chosen ourselves and we have chosen idols rather than the presence of God. We have defiled God's temple, that temple that is your own body. The third thing that we need to consider as our calling as the temple of God is that we need to be a people of mission. As we said already, the Old Testament law in the book of Leviticus and other places is concerned with contaminating the temple. If I touch something that's impure or unclean, and then, if I, then I become impure or unclean. And if I go into the temple and I touch the temple, then my uncleanness gets transferred from the thing that's unclean to me to the temple. Okay, that's the, the, the movement that happens in, in the Old Testament scriptures. But the prophets begin to receive other images about the temple. And we've talked about these already. Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah and Joel, they speak about this time when out of the temple, there's going to be this river that overflows from the altar and flows out into the world and brings purity and brings cleanness and brings wholeness and shalom and peace to all the area around it. And so the movement is no longer from an unclean thing, making a person unclean, to then making the temple unclean, but instead from out of the overflow of the temple, bringing cleanness and purity to it. And so we see that in Jesus's life, right? Jesus calls himself the temple, right? And so what happens when he goes and he does this, his ministry among people who are unclean? When he touches the leper, does he become unclean? No, the leper becomes clean. 
His purity, his holiness transfers to the unclean person. Things get reversed when Jesus is there. His cleanness makes them clean. So remember then when we talked about last week at the Feast of Tabernacles where there was that ceremony where they pulled out, poured out that bucket of water at the altar as a symbolic act of looking forward to that time when this river would overflow from the temple. At that very moment of that Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stands up and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So then John gives his comment, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would later receive. As a temple of the Holy Spirit, we're called to be people who enter into the world as people who are life, who have life-giving water to offer. Not because of who we are, but because of the Spirit that is within us. So as we enter into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our workplaces, others would experience the presence of God through us. As a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are a people who are called to mission. We are called first to prayer. We are called second to holiness. And third, we are called to mission. And I want to suggest to you today as we finish that that order is very important. Prayer, and then holiness, and then mission. There are a lot of people who want to do a lot of great things for God. They want to be mission-minded. They know that as a temple of the Holy Spirit, that they need to be a people of mission. And so they want to do a lot of great things for God, but they neglect holiness and they neglect prayer. And if that is the case in your life, if you are a person who has this drive and this desire to be mission-minded, God bless you. May you continue in it, but you make sure that you are doing the first things first, that you are committed to pursuing God in prayer, and that out of that prayer that God will cultivate holiness in your life. There are a lot of other people that the Christian life is very much about holiness and righteousness, and that's very important, and they strive with all of their might to live holy and righteous lives, but they do all of that in their own strength. What happens when people prioritize holiness over their relationship with God, they become self-righteous. They begin to think their holiness is a work of their own. And they begin to set up all sorts of barriers and boundary markers that just masquerade as holiness. They pretend that they're holy if that becomes the main and first thing. And so we must begin with prayer. With that relationship with God. And out of that relationship with God in prayer, both holiness and mission will flow from that. It is in prayer where we drink from the water that is the Spirit dwelling in us. And from that drinking and refreshment, we will become holy people. And as we become holy people out of that relationship, we will then also become people who do good work. People who in the world around us can experience that life-giving water that God has given to us by His Spirit. As a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are called to be a people of prayer a people of holiness, and a people of mission, and in that order. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we do pray that you would 
Help us in those areas of our lives where we have forgotten you because of our own sin and our own idolatry and our own running away from you, or perhaps even in the good work that we intend to do for you, we have forgotten you. So God, I would pray that you would first call us as a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you would call us and make us people of prayer. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room, all of us who struggle with prayer in one way or another, Lord, may you show us your way for us in prayer. You show us the areas of our life and, and the ways that we can meet with you in prayer. And God, I pray that as we do that, that you would make us holy and that you would make us a people of mission. Amen.